Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When, when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win. Just win, baby. episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. Normally, I would sit and discuss, or you know, some radar points, but you know, I'm because of just between football and watching the fallout in Dallas, as far as the Geiger trial fallout. It's gonna, you know, we're gonna kind of have a mixed bag tonight. No guest. It's Obi. It's myself. I'm gonna talk about some things. It's, it's kind of the venting, you know, full topics, a bunch of things. So we're just going to get right into it. I'm bringing my, you know, my co-host, a part of Morgan State, the man like the snickerdoodle. He likes Old Bay Wings. If you need a food recommendation anywhere in the D.C. slash Baltimore, don't ever, ever, ever call it the DMV because you're a herb and we know that you are. (laughs) My man, my family member, my brother, Malik Obi. Obi, what's cracking? What's up, Pete? I mean, like you said, there's so much going on. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, of course, you want to get into the fact that the Raiders did win um, a game that many didn't think that they were going to win. Uh, and, they, and they did it in a really respectable, dominated fa- fashion for the most part until they have the, the inevitable implosion in the second half. But they... 
nevertheless, they stuck it out. They won. They drove 90-plus yards down the field to win. Uh, so you got to respect that. Um, but like you said, you know, we, it's, it's so many topics to get into. Uh, looking forward at the Raiders, the, the stretch that they're going in, healing up for the bye week, which I really agree with with John Gruden giving them a week off. Really, a team that really needs to just banged up and really needs to just take some time to recuperate with guys like Trent Brown and possibly getting Gabe Jackson back, et cetera. They really need this time to to to, to get back together. So I really agree with that. But like you said, there's so much stuff to talk about, so we might as well just get right into it. So we're gonna jump around over instead of doing our normal format, we do have you know half Raiders and a half social. I'm just gonna just kind of fire off different topics, and we're just gonna like jump into some like a couple of quick comments. And there's so much to talk about. Do you want to start social issues first, or do you want to start Raiders first? I'm good with either. I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. Let's 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 go social first. Now, after the Geiger. Uh, verdict was rendered. She was sentenced to 10 years. We had our friend Tab on last Tuesday after the after we received the verdict and she explained how she wasn't going to celebrate because she knows how the legal system in Texas is or in Dallas. Mm-hmm. True words were never spoken. She sat there and she, you know, Amber Guy got 10 years. The main witness, Joshua Brown, was found dead this weekend, today. Mm-hmm. Apparently, according to the Dallas Police Department, who I wouldn't believe them if they if their tongue arrived notarized, um, the would-be assailants drove from Alexandria, Louisiana, which is like 303 miles away from Dallas, Texas. You actually had to go through Shreveport to get to Dallas from Alexandria, which means you're going through a decent-sized city where there's plenty of weed available. To go argue with this man, kill him, leave his weed and his cash. Now, my questions are this. According to the Dallas Police Department, they said that the um, Sean Brown had uh, was pretty much running a drug house in his apartment. You're not going to run a drug house in the same complex as a police officer that never saw it that no one else saw it, and mm-hmm. it just it just doesn't feel right. Like, if you're pushing that kind of weight in your apartment, somebody's going to see something and call the cops. And if no one said a thing... There's so many flaws in that story. Next person who tells no, me, no. well, you know... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead and say what she's going to say. <laughs> Next person who says, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's... You know, you're being a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I'm going to say this real plain for you people in the back. As nicely as I can put it, kiss my ass. There is no way you are, you, that, that man was some kind of drug kingpin. If you're a witness in a, you know, if you are testifying against a cop and you're a drug kingpin, bruh, right. let's, I mean, for real. Talk. Tell me what you think. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that something well, is sideways. Me, I don't see me, it. Well, let me say this. First and foremost, I, I listen, <laughs> I don't know any drug dealers that would keep 12 pounds of weed in their own house 
And if they did, they wouldn't be selling it out of their own house. That makes absolutely no sense. As you said, if this man was a drug dealer, the defense would have tore that up. Like, uh, what's what's our man? What's our man named? Uh, oh man, my, the dude from Hidden Colors that the, the 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 one that people hate. I can't think of his name, but he pointed out the fact that uh, last week that the that the defense called a crackhead to the stand to to speak on Geiger's character, and that was immediately shot down, and it helped her case. It didn't help her case at all. So, with that being said. You're talking about a drug addict being used on the stand and being discredited. And you're going to sit here and tell me that nobody knew that this man was a drug dealer? And a drug dealer these proportions. You're not even, if this man was even nickel and diamond, he would have been discredited, you know, for being a neighbor. They would have said, oh, what if he was was high on his own supply? How could he have known? How could he have been a character witness? Am I right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about somebody selling actual weight. And nobody brought this up. We didn't hear about this once. We didn't hear about this one time. Literally, we didn't hear anything about this witness, or Joshua Brown, anything wrong with him, anything going wrong with him. And now, all of a sudden, he's a he's a he's a drug kingpin. But the the issue with that is, like I said, that that would have been brought up on a trial. Even with all of that, forget all of that. Forget all of that. I'll even give you the fact of look. If I'm a if I'm a jack boy, if I'm a stick up kid, I give you the fact. You say, listen, we saw on Instagram or we got the word that this dude got the the weight, and all we gotta do is go out there and rob him. Okay, I got you. You get, I'll give you that. If you if you say, listen, I I'm gonna drive four hours, and I'm guaranteed to get twelve pounds of weed. I can come back home. I can flip that. I'm uh, we in the game. I'll give you that. But to kill him and not take any of it, that to take the money or the drugs. I mean, even if they was absolutely scared of the fact that they killed him, you don't think they would have took something for their trouble for the fa- for the fact that, especially if they did their homework on this guy. First of all, if they did their homework on him. They would have knew that he had he was living by a police officer. Am I right again, T? Like, come on. Um, man. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, these are the most incompetent drug dealers in the history of drug dealing. I'm like, you know. They're gonna fill up their car with their own gas money to get from Alexandria, Louisiana, which is which is not close, to Dallas. Have words with Mr. Brown, execute him, shoot him in the mouth, leave all his drugs and all his money behind, and just walk, just leave town. Like go get some brisket and head out of town. Get out of here with that nonsense. The Dallas Police Department they had a police oversight meeting tonight. That was open to the public where the chief was there, and she it was such a ruckus that people were filming it, and it was just a bunch of screaming at her. It was a bunch of black people screaming at her, and she's black too. It's can they need to be real the fact that, can we can we can we talk about the fact that every time a situation like this, the police, whatever department it is, whatever city, they always seem to have a black scapegoat. Like this man that was marched out there earlier to say this nonsense. Like the, I mean, come on. But this this goes to show. This is this goes to a greater argument that there's so many black people through history, through time, especially with this uh, onslaught of uh, racially and, and racial injustice situations that we've experienced. Let's just say over the last ten years, you hear black people say the best way to combat it is to get in the office is to do this, to do that, to take these positions over. Well, first of all, you got a police force here 
in a in a in a in a very black area, and we've seen nothing but black people. We got the black judge who's who's who was crooked, the black judge that was endorsed by this very police department. I mean, the solution is not just to get into these places and things to change. Obviously, I mean, every step of the way has been some type of black corruption. So, I mean, it just points to a bigger issue. I mean. I mean, it's just a never-ending thing. It's like it's a never-ending cycle. You got all of this going on, and you you think you got a clear-shut case. Okay, you 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 get you get a guilty verdict. The next day, not only does you get a light sentence, but even the judge—I've never seen a judge hug a murderer ever in life. You know, I mean, and then you double back from that and say, hey, yeah, she was in, she was endorsed by the police department, and this and that was going on. Now we got this witness who turns up dead a week later. I mean, come on. It's just I mean, messed up from top to bottom. I sat there and I talked to Tad one Sunday. I've been talking to her, you know, just, just kind of getting her vibe because she's from Dallas. And I just, I was, I forgot who I was talking to. I was like, you know, sometimes you got to laugh to keep crying and deal with such, just such idiocy. And I said to myself that her sentence was so light. It could be one of Albie Shore's backup dancers. I mean, it was. <laughs> I mean, it hurt to sit there and watch this. <laughs> it was. Come on, man. I mean, you can't be making jokes like that. <laughs> it bothered me because it just like it should have been more, and it should have been better. But like you said, the the, the judge, the judge bothered me. The judge was the worst because she is just. I mean, she sat there and said that she didn't see anything wrong with it. But let the next black person sit in her sit in that sit in that courtroom, accused of killing somebody, and get convicted. I want to see her run up and hug him, too. Between her, that dumbass jury, the idiot media, who was sitting there and tried to spin the, well, you know, all black people should be for, you know, not all black people. This is a sign of grace and forgiveness. No, this is, this is, this is a sign of we're expected to turn the other cheek. And I'm sorry, I got... I got four cheeks. I sit on two and I look with the other two and I just, I'm tired of turning them. I mean, it's, I'm bothered. I'm bothered by the simple fact that we're allowed to, or we expect to cave. And that brings me to like, it's funny because I was, you know, there's a religious aspect and, you know, religious arm where I think some of it is a, generational thing and this is the next thing I want to get into before we get into talking about the radio but I'm 45 you're like 27 I'm considered um, a, a generation X or you're a millennial now mm-hmm. that means different things in different communities but there's an overarching thought of there's a there's a division where you have people who are my age grown-ass adults who tend to infantize millennials by disregarding their thoughts or disrespecting them. And I, I remember being in my 20s and having baby boomers do the exact same thing to me. And it is the worst thing in the world to sit there and be told, you know, you're too young to understand and this and this. And it just get frustrated because as a Gen Xer, we should have been smarter to see that we are, we are passing on a planet that is trash, like, to a millennials. Like, y'all are inheriting a planet that is garbage because of 
the environment because of the worsening social economic structure of countries, nations, states, whatever. And it's this is the time where these two groups, because they're so close in age or so close in uh, generations, should be working together. And but yet, if you look at the presidential uh, primaries on the Democrat Party, you see a lot of old people. You see people older, much older than me, much older than you, like at the top of the ticket. And how are you going to, as a nation, change? When you have the same people who have been in Washington for like a better part of 50 years, or 40 years, or and it's, but yet they're trying to reach the young voter by being phony. Like we talked about pandering last week. We talked about how certain candidates pander to black people. We also should talk about how certain candidates pander to younger people by sitting there. It's that there is a, it's like being a like a ninth year senior in high school, like you're the old senior and you're sitting there trying to talk to that freshman girl. That's weird. It's creepy. You're like way too old to be sitting there talking to, you know, some someone pretty much underage where right. these politicians are sitting there and they're like, it's phony. They don't really care about things that millennials, which... I'm only using that term just for this case because I see millennials as... People, people, right. just straight up people. Like it's not a generation; it's a title. Human beings, Americans, whatever you want to call it. I see millennials as you know, people. The advancements in tech and the advancements in opportunity, different opportunities, you know, are boundless. Where each of the generations can learn from each other. When you, especially in the black community, you there's an old saying, you know, there's the old heads will sit there and sit there and say to younger people, oh. This was better in my day. This was this in my day. I remember being younger and saying to myself, I wish the oldest person was not talking about things that happened in the 60s. I don't care. Like, unless it's, like, historically, like, important, like, I don't want to, I don't care about the plate of greens and the plate of mashed potatoes you had that one night back in 68. It it doesn't move (laughs) me. And, but now... A lot of people in my age group, they they have inherited that throne of crankiness. They become Grandpa Simpson shaking his fist at the cloud. And I swear, I'm never going to go out that way. But too many people who are in you know that age group do. Why do you think that there's such that division still between the two generations? Well, for one, I think it's because a lot of times people feel like that what I had to endure is worse than what you had to endure or because of the fact that I've been able to get through it this long or become desensitized to it, that you need to, too. I mean, just look at, you know, everything with all this, you know, all of this going on. You know, it was crazy. Um, We were in Atlanta at the Martin Luther Luther King, um, you know, center or whatever, museum or whatever. And, uh, you know, this older guy basically says to me, like, you know, this is what I, you know, it was an exhibit on segregation. And he was talking about what he went through, you know, having to go to school, you know, in those times and, you know, basically integrating schools and all the issues that he went through or whatever. But the way that he said it was basically like, you know what I'm saying, you can't relate to this. And I'm like, you know what? 
you can't relate. You don't know what I can relate to, you know? It's like, I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, I didn't go to a school where I was the only black person and all that stuff, you know? But what we're going through now, you know, in so many ways, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot worse. I mean, it's not even a competition because at the end of the day, we all know that we are, you know, the ones the the ones facing the brunt of the injustice and, you know, dealing with stuff, having to work three times harder and all this stuff. You know, it's not a competition. You know, but overall, like you said, it's not even just a black issue. It's a you know overish young thing. It really is. It's like man, it's it's, it's frustrating because a lot of times. It'll be situations where things would be so much smoother if people just said, you know, how can we work together on this? We'll come together on this. But it's all, it just has to be a competition of this is how we dealt with it. This is what we've been through or whatever. And it's tough because you have people of different generations who, who want to bridge that gap. I'll use an example. My grandmother was born in 1912, passed away in like, uh, 2001, but one thing she always said when she heard people saying back in my day, when she had her day was long before all of us, she said, you know what, it's not about the back in your day when it comes to unimportant things. You have to let people, you know, get it together and try to build. She was a, about a builder. Like, I use my personal experience as this. Like, folks who don't know, I'm the editor of FBC Raiders, and I have a diverse staff. Like, Everyone's different. Everyone comes from a different background. Everyone, different ages. And I am the oldest. But one thing I will never do is I will never sit there and try to be any of these writers' fathers. That is not, that is not my job description. That is not how I talk to people. I'm not sitting there trying to lecture anybody about, well, you should know. All adults. All adults. You're adults. You're adults. You're adults. And it's... The jacked up part is too many people my age don't really understand that where you're talking to a 27, 28 year person, they're 27, 28, they're not 8 or 7, they're an adult. They've, they've been an adult exactly. legally for like a decade and it's a disrespect. It, it is a disrespect and I see it in media. Like I said, I see it in media when you see folks who are right out of college going to apply for jobs at different media sites, be it the Ringer, Athletic, Deadspin, ESPN, and I've heard the stories. I've heard the stories of a little bit of the bias of what do they know? Like, what can they tell me? And this, mm -hmm. there's so much that each generation can learn. Like, people in my generation can impart wisdom upon, this is what happened at this situation. Not trying to lecture or to sermonize to say this would happen when, you know, judge for yourself, and I'm someone who's a millennial can say, well, this is what I know, this is my different spin. It's not listening, and I don't think a lot of people between generations tend to listen because I don't know what happened, but people became bitter. Like, just bitter. Like, like maybe they made a mistake in their own youth, and they're regretting it, or they want to live it again because you see people who are my age who will sit there and they'll buy like the sports car or they'll get the Nick Wright hair plugs who's it's funny because he's only like 32 years old or 33 but neither here nor there but you'll see like Jason Whitlock get the new hair 
even though he still wears like child small suit. That's another story. Um, but it's more of the trying to fit in, and when you're dealing with somebody younger, no matter what level, be it personal, professional, whatever, it's not trying to fit in. It's, it's about connecting. There's that. There's that connection. There's that. That bond of here. This is this is what I need to talk to you about, and I don't think that people hear it. And I know just in the black community, people don't hear it because the kids' table when I was a kid was real. We sat at our own little table, and I couldn't sit at that big table until I was like 12, 13. And I'm sorry, the food tastes better at the big table. <laughs> that food is fresh. Like, like that turkey is steaming, and it's just it's one of those things where there's not cooperation, and it, we should be better. And we hopefully are better. There's a story, Obi, I do want to get your take on. Um, mm -hmm. As you know, I cover semi-pro football, too. And one of the teams is in Louisiana. And um, somebody sent me, like, this clip from a New Orleans station about a high school, St. Augustine, which is a um, black, all-black boys Catholic high school. Like, a really good football team. And one of their players used their their cell phone in the locker room, and they were doing apparently this this chant that they've been doing for decades, and you know about smashing an in on another team, all black, just all black guys. And now there's like a mm -hmm. controversy because now like they want the coach. I think the coach either he's on the way out because of it, or he's going to be, or he's out. And the locals are up in arms because of the fact that white people are trying to take ownership of this word and saying how if a white person did that, they would be going too. Can you explain to people what the difference is between a black person saying the word for, for like this one time, the difference between a black person saying the word and a white person saying that word? I think I think it's simple, and people keep making this more difficult than it needs to be. At the end of the day, what's derogatory towards me? That's just like okay, that's just I. Right, here's a perfect example. Bitch is a derogatory word towards a woman, you know. And now there are plenty of women that walk around calling each other "I'm that bitch" or "she's that's my bitch" or whatever. At the end of the day. If you want to take it and flip it in any way positive towards you, what you personally do is fine. You know, the end is, you know what I'm saying? If if I if I walk past four women and they call each other bitches, if that works for them, that works for them. But at the end of the day, if I say it, they have a right to be offended by it. You know what I'm saying? It's still a derogatory word at the end of the day. It's the same thing. I mean, the word was meant to bring women down, you know, or whatever. So the same thing with the N-word. If I, if I decide to, you know, say, look, these my niggas, da 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 I can do that. The word was meant to bring me down. If I want to flip it and put it in a positive light, then I can, I can absolutely do that. But if I, I can still find it offensive that you said it because it was originally meant to be offensive any, in the first place. I mean, I don't understand what's so hard to understand about that. 
because they want to become an offensive once it doesn't stop becoming offensive, uh, you know, just because I said it, you know, because they, like, some really want the, the urge to say it. And I mean, for me, it's like this I don't say the word, it's not really how I wrote, but I'm not gonna sit there and judge a black person saying it. I, I just wouldn't do it, it's not my thing, but. I'm going to judge a white person who said it because I've been on the other end of being called that word. And I will say this, time has mellowed my response. You know, if you would look at my response, you can also Google Michael Westbrook punches up Stephen Davis for how I would react back then. And now it's just more of, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a word that certain people shouldn't um, say. And people try to take ownership. Speaking of taking ownership, there's a thought mm-hmm. that I want to get your opinion on. Like, we could talk, mm-hmm. you know, speaking of that word and kind of speaking of the culturing, uh, the vulturing of certain cultures, certain words, mm-hmm. the vulture culture is, is strong. You got Elizabeth Warren, like, trying to co-opt being an indigenous person to get over and to, you know, like, trying to, you know, ride, not so much ride that wave, but she got caught basically being wrong and using her ethnicity to shade the president. And you have, we talked about, yes, Jules in the past, about how she, you know, tries to co-opt the culture, even though she doesn't contribute to it. When you see people who aren't from the community, who tend to want Mm -hmm. to interlope and try to grab pieces of a culture that, you know, has been well established outside of them and their purview. What do you think when you see folks, you know, who maybe let's see, what's the best? Somebody from like Oxa Mills, like going and doing like a go-go. Like when you see that, and they try to, you know, slide in there without pretty much paying their dues or understanding the history behind it. What's your thought about culture vulturism? Well, you know what? It's so widespread. It's like even with the whole yesterday's thing, what people have to understand is it's like the institution and industries is what people were complaining about in the first place about the lack of diversity that creates these issues. There's little small incidents that get people riled up. For instance, um, the Brooklyn Nets did a collaboration with a guy on these New Jerseys. Um, and they and they and they basically were asking what people thought, but they basically um, on the Twitter page they use a, a term that New Yorkers use, like basically like when they say "year," like Y E R R R. That that basically is like saying "yo," but you know, or to get somebody's attention, or or to warn somebody of something. But um. <laughs> They used it in a way that was asking, did they, did people like the jerseys, yes or no, but like, yeah or no, and people were like, what the fuck? Like, hey, that's not what that even means, you know, and then it's like, you know, and then they got people, you know, taking this and, and running with it, and that's not even what it meant in the first place. I mean, if this, but if somebody walked into a business, if somebody walked in there for an interview and said that, they wouldn't get the job, you know what I'm saying? But if you, you know, if they was, if they, if they was, if, if I came in there for an interview and somebody called me and I answered the phone and said, "Yeah," they wouldn't find that. In, they wouldn't find that professional. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, 
that's the that's the hypocrisy of it all. Like you want, you know, what I'm saying it's like, and it's so, it's on so many it's on so many levels. Like I give you another perfect example: cultural appropriation is ESPN. I don't care if uh, if Chris Carter became the face of it, but he wasn't the original intended audience because he's he didn't even do it anymore. The whole "Come On Man" thing. Come on, man! Came from Ed Lover, historically historic hip hop legend Ed Lover from Yo and TV Raps and all that. And his, he had a segment on Hot 97 called "Come On." Excuse me, not Hot 97. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Power, Power 105 in New York, 103, whatever. Yep. Called "Come On, Son." Come on, son. Yes, son. Calling people out for stupid, stupid stuff. But that's a term that's been used in New York forever. Like, come on, son. That's dumb. Come on, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? And ESPN basically gentrified it, and it's like, you know what I'm saying? But you see this on so many levels. I mean, even with the rap, we give them hell. And, and like I said, we've given white rappers credit before, so it's not a white or black thing. But, like, Post Malone, like, come on, this is appropriation. Like, it's Trash. on so many levels. And then, like, even – let me give you a perfect example. You got – you got – this is a great example. Forever 21 and stories like that. That will, I mean, I, and this is the most disrespectful thing to me is because of the fact that this is something that millions, I'm gonna say millions, millions of people have lost their lives for whether it be to death or to prison, the whole gang culture, Bloods and Crips, and you got H and M and Forever Twenty One and stores like that selling this apparel that purposely emulates this gang culture, you know what I'm saying? And it's like. You know, and I'm not talking about rappers like YG, et cetera, that have apparel. I'm talking about clothes with that that are me- meant to signify you being a blood, a crip, a pyro, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? Like purposely, not just colors, like actual gang insignia, things that people in L.A. are, you know, getting indictments indict- for. I mean, we're talking about a couple of years ago, decade or so ago, when L.A. had gang injunctions for wearing hats. I mean, because, you know, you know, in L.A. gang culture at that time, you know, the different baseball hats with the different logos and stuff signify different gangs and, and alliances, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, for places like, I mean, there's a lot of people that that's lost their lives or, you know, or, or, or sitting in prison behind this stuff. Um, and we can talk about why they got into it in the first place another time, but to for stores like Forever 21 to sell stuff like this to suburban kids that have no idea what they're really doing, you know what I'm saying? That's just like that's just like that's just like if, if if when Snoop came out in the 90s and 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 a store at that time selling stuff that uh, said Long Beach Rolling 20s on it, you know, and and people said, damn, I love doggy style. Let me go get this. Let me go get this shirt, and they go to the wrong neighborhood wearing that. They have no clue what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? But what does it matter? Because they don't care because they're making a profit, and that's wrong. You know, but it's, it's gentrifying the culture. And then, I mean, even even on a deeper level than that, like even with modeling and everything, you see black women and Hispanic women all the time that are doing, like, everyday living. You know, she can't afford to get her hair done. She might, you know, put have rollers in her hair on the way to the salon or whatever the case may be. And You know what I'm saying? And then you got these model models out here when you know if you know these black women get funny looks or Spanish women get funny looks walking down the street, and then you see these models 
you know, that aren't from these areas, for one. They're just people of color. Um, you know, that wearing this stuff that's considered ghetto fashion and it's chic now. Like, come on, this is bullshit. But it happens so much. But then when you, the more you complain, the more you say something about it, and no matter how factual it is, it's just look at looked at as complaining. But it's a serious double standard. Wait, see, let me this last thing. Let me segue this into football because I know we're going to talk about it anyway. Like the the player from um, Penn State that got the letter uh, from the old white family talking about how they didn't like tattoos and dreads at Penn State all the time. I mean, I wonder did they write a letter to the Paterno family or who or, or Sandusky family or anything about all of the young men that was you know that you know went through sexual assault and all that stuff. I really doubt that. But we're going to talk about tattoos and dreads. But you know, it's this, but all we care about is these young men that come in every year and, and and produce for our program. You can give a damn about tattoos and dreads. It's really about what you're doing for the school. As long as you're scoring touchdowns or dunking the ball, that's what we really care about. But we're going to sit here and talk about dreads, especially at a place like this. Especially at a place like this. After all of the, I mean, nobody should be talking about anything involving character or professionalism or anything regarding Penn State for a long damn time. I mean, we talking about a school that literally, you know, tried to, you know, brush under the cover something of this magnitude for a very, very long time. This is disgusting stuff we talking about here. The player's name is Jonathan. Let me see. The player's name is Jonathan. As we speak, he's a safety Jonathan Sutherland, he is actually team captain, uh, made the uh, Dean's List, you know, like, outstanding player, just phenomenal. And I'm trying, I'm going to find the letter right now, and I just, I mean, it's stunning that folks want to sit there and be this stupid. Here's a letter, Obi. This was addressed to Jonathan Sutherland from a Penn State booster. Dear Jonathan, my wife and I are proud older graduates of Penn State. State wasn't even capitalized, which means you didn't go to English class, jackass. We follow all Penn State sports, semicolon, should be a colon, football, wrestling, volleyball, gymnastics, basketball, we love it all. I played all the sports in my younger days, all the sports, semicolon. Still played full court basketball into my 50s, no one cares. Love the competition, but never had the size or talent to reach your level. Now, why are you asking somebody about their dread jacket? <laughs> Though the athletes of today certainly are superior to those in my days, days, we miss the clean-cut young men and women from those days. Watching the Idaho game on TV, we couldn't help but notice your well-off, your well space, awful hair. Surely there must be mirrors in the locker room. Don't you have parents or girlfriend who've told you those shoulder-length dreadlocks look disgusting and are certainly not attractive? We congratulate you on your game against Pitt. No comma. But you need to remember you represent all of Penn Staters, both current and those alumni from years past. We would welcome the reappearance of dress codes for athletes. You will certainly be playing on Sunday in the future but we have stopped watching the NFL due to the disgusting 
tattoos and awful hair and immature antics in the end zone. Players should act as though they've, quote-unquote, been there before. For the glory, Dave Peterson. Well, before we jump into this, I'm going to respond to Mr. Peterson. As nice as I can, as nice as I can say this, Dave, go fuck yourself. But, oh, racist. I mean, it's dripping with racism. It's dripping with the fact that how we watching the Idaho game, so you picked the whitest school way out there, and you're trying to compare what happens in Moscow, Idaho, to what happens in State College, PA, where the cross-section of the demographic is totally different, and dreadlocks apparently are disgusting, and it's immature, and the antics, and being there before, I played football on a decent level, and we all heard coaches who all look the same, who all had the buzz cut, who all would probably drop the ER version of the N-word in their own private time, always told people, well, you need to act like you've been there before. That is the most coded bunch of crap I have ever heard in my entire life, and it, it remains the dumbest thing ever. It is the, it's insulting. It is completely insulting to that man. I mean, it's coded in saying, you know, like, you know, this is how sports should be. Like, you don't have a wife or girlfriend. I mean, it's not really your business what that man has or what he doesn't have. He's on the dean's list. He's a team captain. Apparently, James Franklin thought enough of him and his teammates thought enough to vote him team captain. That's a really important thing. And, yes, he's going to play on Sunday. It's just it's, it's sad when – Somebody from your own fan base tends to sit there and attack you for your appearance. And my thing is, like you've mentioned, Penn State is like the last place on earth should ever be talking about anybody. I mean, you had Jerry Sandusky molesting little boys for like the better part of three decades in the school looking the other way, even though they knew, Joe Paterno knew, did nothing. So let's not sit there and talk about upholding the Penn State glory when y'all don't have nary a foot to stand on. I've spoken a lot. Obi, jump in here and give me your thoughts. <laughs> it's just funny because I know you know what I feel like that 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 that's a letter that was publicized. You know, yeah, that was a letter that was publicized. But I wonder how many. I really wonder. You got to think about it. In a lot of these, especially SEC schools, a lot of these places where the where the black students once they leave campus, they're they're extreme minority, especially the athletes. Um, how many of these players are getting these talks face to face from the booster, from the people, and they have to show that restraint? These are things that people are not thinking about. This is a letter that that he somebody got. But you know what's even crazier than that to me is that I think about you know because we are in different times where somebody can make a statement like I mean you know a player can uh, have the you know the platform to say you know what they're going through in a situation like that. And people say, damn, that's messed up, woody, 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 woo. But I think about all of the, the times in the past when, you know, the players of the 90s, the 80s, the 70s, the things that they had to endure with the Afros or whatever the case may be, or just being black in general, you know, being too loud, just being black, whatever, or Spanish or whatever, you know what I'm saying, in these situations. But I just think about all these kids at these SEC schools, you know, that are there, that are – 
And this is a factor. You're just the latest one. You're just the latest, fastest, strongest one in reality. And that's the very, very harsh reality of it. You know, and um, this is just somebody that just had the balls to say, you know what, this is what I'm, this is what I'm dealing with. You know, what I'm saying, and, and 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 it's and it's not, it's not rare. You know, especially when you have people with individuals like that with this that that's contributing this type of money and have their hand in everything. You know, they feel like they can say what they're gonna say because a lot of people that are racist and 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 bigots feel like they can say what they want want to say anyway, especially in a platform like that where. You're not even telling this person that face-to-face. You're writing a damn letter. You know what I'm saying? So it's like he knows that this man is never going to – I mean, that man knows that this boy is never going to most likely see him. You know what I'm saying? And if it, if it was a different – you know, in person, it might have been a different story when you got a, a athlete of that size and, you know, et cetera. You know, you, you approaching somebody with some bullshit like that, I think it's a whole different story, and people know stuff like that. They know what they when they what what they can and can't say and when they can and can't say it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, with that being said, it's like, it's it's just I feel like this is this is a circumstance because it's being brought to our attention, and that's the difference. That there lies the difference between old and young. Another example, because my generation we have the opportunity to bring these things to the forefront. I mean, look at all this the stuff that is in the difference between us and twenty so something years in age, is that. The things in your generation that we, we would have had to wait for the news to see or heard about or would have been a big deal for weeks and months in your time is just something that we forget about tomorrow because we see it so often. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, it, it just comes to our attention so much, you know? So, like, even with a situation like, you know, with Trayvon Martin and stuff like that, I feel like 20 years ago, it would have been a, a a a bigger deal for a longer time, but now the worst part is that it it literally happens so much, you know, we just move on to the next thing, or it gets overshadowed by something even more heinous. But like like I said, with this whole situation, I really feel like it's it's really messed up. But I just feel like people don't even understand what these players go through behind closed doors, especially from these big white schools majority white schools where it's like, you know, these athletes are the breadwinners. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they bring in the money and, you know, they, they're just in the, they're just in the, especially for basketball, especially basketball, you know, and, and then you get the guys like, uh, like um, Calipari, et cetera, they get the credit for developing these young men. They probably don't even talk to these damn men, out, you know, outside of the season. You know what I'm saying? They don't know nothing about their family. They don't know who got a sick grandmother or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It ain't no personal level like a high school coach. It ain't no personal level like a smaller school where players are on a team three to four years because they ain't got no NBA prospects. Or the NFL where, you know, Alabama doesn't have 60 uh, five-star, four-star players, you know, and, and they know that it's just a fight for getting to the next level. There's a lot of difference. You know, so, you know, people give these guys all this credit. You know, listen, man, you got to think about it like this. I was watching Alabama, and I thought about the fact that they had, they play, every time they play this year, Nick Saban has three to four commercials. You know what I'm saying? This is a this is a highly sought-after man. This is the man at the highest level that people are really, honestly, to be honest, just waiting to see him fall. 
You know what I mean? Alabama's been at the top for so long. They're just waiting to see him fall. I don't mean lose a national championship. I mean fall off, fall from grace. You know what I'm saying? He's making a shitload of money. They're in a championship. I mean, we expect them to be in a championship every year. Every year we're surprised and amazed at the new talent that they got. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, before Jerry, I mean, Jerry Judy was Amari Cooper and Julio Jones and this one and that one and Derrick Henry and this one and that one. I mean, it happens every year. This has become a factory for football, you know. But like I said, I mean, the sad part is that that young man, you know what I'm saying, he had to endure that. You know, he had to really open that. I'm sure he gets fan mail and stuff like that and tweets and everything. But to see something so, 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 you know, disgusting, you know, from somebody. And then it's not even just the fact that, uh, you know, he called him an N-word or anything like that. It's the fact that the matter is that he felt like he was below him because of his hair. And, I mean, he, it's, it's just so much other stuff. So many other things that people really, that the conversations that people don't want to have that, that should be had about stuff like this. And when it comes to dealing with fans, and we've always said this, be it college sports, be it pro sports, players don't really owe fans a damn thing. Like, the guy is at Penn State to get his education, hopefully, and to further his skills to, if he is good enough to play in the NFL, to develop his talent to go play. As we make the transition onto the onto the Raiders, folks in the Raiders fan base the same way. Like, if you critique the Raiders, oh, you're a hater. Where are all the car haters now? The fact that some people in the fan base aren't emotionally or intellectually or spiritually mature enough to deal with criticism makes them impossible to talk to. I refuse to talk to a moron about football who will sit there and say, well, you know, this person's a hater because they criticize Carr. Imagine going through a job, Obi, where your coworkers, you know, whoever else, that you can't handle the slightest bit of constructive criticism. I'm not saying attack Carr for his faith. I'm not saying attack Carr for religious beliefs or his nagging as brothers or his stands just on on-field performance. Like, people can't take that. But this is going to be a slightly positive, you know, because he played okay. He played well. Mm -hmm. Like, we need, you know, we are the first people to critique when he does wrong. He didn't do anything to lose the game on Sunday. And that is a compliment. I mean, considering where he was, that's a compliment. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and to be honest with you, considering the mm-hmm. team that he played, consider, considering the team that he played, and I and I know people are gonna say, oh, they took away the pressure and all that stuff, but Derek Carr has shown us time and time again that sometimes even when things are in his favor, he can fuck up. So considering the team that he played and 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 and, and mistakes that you know that that there were, I feel like that he managed the game very very well. You know, even even in that last. You know, even in that last drive, you know, I was a little, there was times where I just felt like, you know, the footwork or something with the communication, something was going to be off, you know, but he stayed composed. And, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I don't, and I don't say this in terms of like throwing five touchdowns or, you know, just having a 500-yard game or anything like that. But there were moments in this game and a few Times and a few other of the other wins that Derek Carr showed the you know 
toughness and, you know, grit that he showed in 2016. And I've said it so many times. I'm tired of hearing about 2016. But what I'm saying is that if this is a sign, you know, they need it to be a sign. You know, I, I don't care what anybody says. I still feel like this is a proven year for Derek Carr. I mean, even though the Raiders are 3-2. and two. And I and I feel like this is an opportunity. He's he's doing something in terms. I think that he's showing that he can be a very effective game manager, and hopefully, this will lead to giving him that confidence again all around on a consistent basis that the Raiders are hoping for, because they're going to need it. I mean, through the rest of this stretch, you know, this stretch, they don't go home. To, I mean, they're home now on bye and everything, but they don't play at home for a very long time in terms of football time. So it's like, I, you know, I really hope that, you know, these games are putting him, especially with, you know, going against the Bears defense as highly coded, you know, I want to see him take this and run with it, you know, like, just like, you know, I thought, I thought that, I thought that after beating the Falcons, Jacoby Brissett was going to come in and, and really, you know, dominate the Raiders, but he, you know, they were able to neutralize him, especially with that, you know, Game, game winning interception. I mean, you know, game, you know, deciding interception. And I, and I, you know, it was, it was really good to see. I, I think that this is, is, it, it could be a possible this time. And we're going to see because, you know, the Raiders come back from the bye and they go right to Green Bay, and that's like, I mean, sure. we're, we're talking about a tough place to play. Yeah. They're coming like they'll be here, and that's a. It is a tough place to play because it's, it's loud, and it's one of the better home. It's one of the better home field advantages that teams have in the league, and it's, it's wild to sit there and see. Like when you look at, oh, when you look at, we have also jumped on John Gruden a lot for his passive play calling and the fact that he played or Carr played not to lose. In the last couple of weeks, you saw Trevor Davis on a couple of end rounds when he scored, when he didn't. You saw a flea flicker down the sideline against the Colts. You see that throw to Foster Moreau, which is just bananas. That 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 takes nerve to make that throw. What do you think the difference in John Gruden's approach now, as far as how he calls a game? how it changed from early on. I, you know what? I was thinking, um, you know, at the beginning of the season, I thought that, I mean, after the Broncos game, I thought, you know what? This A-B thing is going to be the excuse of a lifetime in terms of preparation, in terms of adjustment, in terms of the outlook of the team on how they can, you know, prepare for games moving forward without having that type of threat on offense. And I get it. You know, you you plan to have the best receiver in the game and then you don't even get a game in with him. You know, it takes away a lot from the offense. But I, I think that now he's realized that, you know, he has a person, he has a few players, a personnel that, you know, he can create with. And especially with Darren Waller becoming who we hoped he would be, you know what I'm saying? With him becoming a, with him becoming that, I think that that showed him like, man, you know what? 
I can do some of the things I want to do because really the the Raiders' offense is predicated on quick game, you know, especially with the line and, you know, having that quickness. And then even with, when you bring look at a guy like Zay Jones, bringing him into the fray, you know, I, I think that Gruden is going to say, you know what, I can, I can win games with quick game. I can win games with quick game and then, you know, offset that with pounding the ball, you know, and getting that offensive line back intact. I really think that he feels like I can win this. I can win games with kick game. Uh, you know, I know I have a mediocre defense. If I can just manage to slow this game down, you know, and just, continue, you know, as the league continues to get better and better with stronger pass, pass rushing threats, if I can slow this game down and extend these drives with the type of players that I have, you know, because you look at it, like you said, with Moreau, he's a pretty decent blocking tight end. And, you know, he's making some damn good catches, you know. And then you got a guy like Jacobs who, I mean, like I said on Twitter, I mean, this guy is, he's having, he's off to the second best start in Raiders history in terms of running back behind Bo Jackson, you know. And then you got, you know, Waller, of course, who who is a mismatch. I mean, Waller is a mismatch for any linebacker, period, you know, with the exception of maybe like Bobby Wagner, guys like that, but. He's proven to be a mismatch so so far. I think Gruden is saying, you know what? If I could win in a quick game with these guys, then I can experiment with some of those trick plays I got, you know, those end arounds and stuff like that with guys like Trevor Davis, bring Zay Jones into the fray, win on win on these quick outs and stuff like that, drags and mesh routes, things of that nature with guys like that. You know, I don't have the best overall personnel, but I got to work to my advantages. And I think that once the Raiders got out of their own way with the A-B stuff, and things are starting to click. But we're really going to see, like I said, with Green Bay, whose defense seems to have taken a completely different level in the last year. The Raiders have kill it, been killing it with the quick game and, and, you know, neutralizing pass rushes. But Green Bay has some forces on the outside on both sides, and Preston Smith and Zedari- Preston and Zedarius, and, and as well in the middle. I mean, Kenny Park. It's gonna, yeah, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be – it's going to be a tough one. And I know people said that about the Bears, but, you know, throughout the season, what people have to understand is, like you said, it's all about adjustment. And it's all about reading your opponent. You know, so teams are going to watch film and figure out a way to say, okay, you know what? Let's figure out how we can combat the Raiders with this quick game stuff, you know? So we're going to see how it goes this week. Well, next and this, week. Next week. As far as the Bears, it's funny because – when I look at how well the Raiders blocked the front seven, I think of random song by Exhibit. There's a line that says, X doesn't spot the mark, X marks, X spots the marks. Leonard Floyd, they found him. They found him doing nothing on the outside. They ran at him. They rolled the car rolled in his direction without any kind of without any kind of um, resistance. They knew that Khalil Mack would be a problem over here, so you find Leonard Floyd and you make the play go where he is. As much as we criticize Gruden Cable, they knew that Leonard Floyd would come up shorter than Kevin Hart doing army crawls. It was bound to happen, and they ran. They they chose him, and he didn't 
come up huge for the Bears. And that's not taking things away from the Raiders, but they game plan on him not performing, and that's smart. With the pack, like you said, you have Kenny Clark in the middle. People don't really know Kenny Clark too well. Like our colleagues, Pete Camarillo, Kenny Berry, they're out in LA. They've seen Kelly. They've seen Kenny Clark when he was at UCLA. They know that, and plus has a nose tackle. He's not just your typical space eating nose tackle. He's quick. He has good. He has good hand work. He's strong, but he has a surprisingly quick step to be able to split a double. And to be able to cause the play to bounce left, right, and the Smiths are right there. That secondary is pretty damn good, and I think Mike Patton will be able to provide Tom Cable with his toughest test to date. Because if you look at Denver, Denver had two outside rushers, nothing else. Not like the other nine guys on the field just didn't really do anything. If you look at the Bears, you had attention towards Khalil Mack, but like I said, I, you know, Floyd didn't do much. He just kind of sat there and kind of looked. There was a play where Floyd, there was a run between the right guard and Trent Brown. Floyd saw this play coming. He spun away from it. Like, he thought a spin move. He thought somehow this giant cavernous hole would be you know, ignored and the guy didn't go all the way wide. He ran himself out the play. Josh Jacobs streaked up field for like seven yards. And it's just, it's just one of those things. It's knowledge of your enemy. And to his credit, Mike Patton is really sharp. Before we get out of here, I got a few random football questions for you, Obi. Um, Washington, they let Smoke and Jay Gruden go. <laughs> There's a I don't know I, I don't know I thought of this because of the tension of the week I decided you know keep it keep the football like serious but also throw some levity into it. There's that famous scene of in the Fresh Prince when Will Smith's father leaves and he's talking to Uncle Phil and asking why don't people want him? If you were to substitute the Redskins head coaching job for Will Smith in that scene, why don't people want to work? for Washington? Is it just the owner or the culture that the owner has brought to the table? It's definitely the owner. I mean, and and you you hear so many stories, but you got to think about the fact that this is a problematic man. And what people don't understand is the rumors about Snyder behind closed doors have been talked about for so long. I mean, literally so long. You have so many different things. He's made so many bad moves. He's made so many moves that it seemed like he didn't, you know, you know, you know, get it, you know, talk to anybody about except for himself, you know, and it, and it, and it showed, you know, and it's like, I feel like the Redskins won't be competent until they get rid of him. And it's, it's just so many examples. There's so many. I mean, we know that Snyder was the one that said, "We're pulling the trigger on Haskins. I don't care what anybody says. This is what I want. This is what I'm doing." You know, okay, that's perfectly fine. But with that being said, it's like, how are you preparing this team to be, you know, 
for 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 Haskins to win around this with the team. Like, you know, what are you doing? I mean, all these different coaches, you know, terrible drafting, you know, letting players go. I mean, it's so many, it's so much stuff to talk about. I mean, it's a lot of it. You got to point at Dan Snyder. You have to point at him. I mean, and then even the stuff off the field with the with the name and everything. I mean, he deserves the the brunt of the blame for the direction of this franchise. I mean, there was Lavar Arrington um, was on doing a couple of interviews and he was saying how there are certain employees that may not be of the level to be able to look or to speak at Dan Snyder. You have to call him Mr. Snyder. Uh-huh. I literally think uh, I've that... I've heard that from Lavar Arrington. Lavar Arrington said that, yeah. I mean, I mean, is it... It's weird because Dan Snyder made his money through the amusement parks, and you would think that somebody who made his money through amusement parks would be a little happier. And but he's not. He's an angry man. And I read all other pieces. And I've talked to people who they think you know he's about five eight ish. Do you think that the fact that he never played, never did anything as far as sports like, there's a Napoleon complex working. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hundred percent feel like that, and I and I'm not saying I'm not going to be one of those people that say, "Oh, you you should have played professional football to be a coach or or owner or GM, whatever." No, but it seems like this is a hundred percent purely. Well, it came in as a hundred percent purely a business decision for him, and you know what? Now that I feel like over the years he might have gained a little bit of knowledge of football, and he is making rash decisions. And it's showing. I mean, you know, it's like he doesn't know. I mean, people give Al, uh, Al, excuse me, I was say Al Shopper, Lord forgive me, Al Davis a lot of flack for, you know, interjecting and stuff like that. But let me tell you, I think it's, it's pretty damn clear that Al, Al had a lot more knowledge of football. I mean, this guy was a coach, a player, a, a champion coach, you know what I'm saying? But, well, a playoff contender coach. And it, But, yeah, it's just like, come on, man. The things that Dan Snyder has done over the years has set this team back so many different times, so many different ways. I mean, you know, we, you know, the old standing joke about him giving away money to players that shouldn't have, give, you know, in free agency and stuff. I mean, so many different examples of, you know, incompetence by him. I mean, and then even in the beginning years, you know, you give Marty Schottenheimer a year and. You know, he does what he does with Tony Banks at quarterback, and you fire him. You bring in Steve Spray, and he could seem less interested. And, you know, that was two years, failed years. I mean, all these coaches, I mean, all the coaches that he's let go, Shanahan, all these guys that went off somewhere else and they're succeeding. You know, it's like at some point you got to look, you know, you got to, you can't ignore the elephant in the room, you know? And it's like, come on, man. After a while, it's like, God damn, when is he going to get some blame for this? But what can they really do at this point? That's I think the they can, I mean, somehow, some way, they're a historic team in the NFL. I mean, but they have the worst owner. Like, people would sit there and crack about Al Davis being, you know, like, the game has passed them by. 
at least he had the game to pass him by. Dan Snyder never got it. He fired Mar Marty, Schottenheim Marty Schottenheimer for pretty much no reason because he disagreed with him. He brought back Joe mm -hmm. Gibbs. That failed. Steve Spurrier failed. He let Mike Shanahan run RG3's leg into a fine powder. People go there to cash checks, basically. They're, I mean, they sign to the free agent. They get their check like Zach Brown. I'm going to sit there and cash this check, and, I'll, and, I, and I'm going to leave because you're not trying to win. Yes, they have a playoff appearance every now and again, but you know they're not going to go far because he doesn't know what he's doing. Like, if you look at that defense, they've like, and if you look at how the team was constructed, they ran out Scott McLuhan and threw his leaks because Snyder from – I could be wrong, but you can correct me. He owns several TV stations or radio stations or some media outlets in the D.C. area, and he can mm -hmm. kind of control the flow of information. And somehow these leaks came about that Scott McLuhan uh, was having issues with alcohol again. And the press – um, nationally picked that up from the press locally, and that almost ruined that man's career because he was going, he was out of out of Washington. Dan Snyder, and it's funny because if you have if you look at who runs the football versions, Bruce Allen, you know it's funny because his father George was like a legend down there, and he ain't his dad. He is nowhere close to being his father. At least his father had a football mind. If Bruce Allen had an original thought it would die of loneliness. Idiot. And it's more of there's no direction. Like, they have a formidable defense. They have a decently constructed defense. And they need to put pieces around Haskins to see what they, the player can do. But they refuse. And it's at the point where you are almost at the, the spot with, the, with Washington that it's time to write them off until Dan Snyder does something with the team. This will never get better. It's one of those things. It it won't. Speaking of, um, the last note I want to get on is about football is Baker Mayfield. Now we saw if you look past the handshake thing, we watched last night where San Francisco pretty much put the beat on him, gave him the blues. Now, as someone who watches football as much as I do, and you, mm -hmm. how satisfying was that to watch somebody who has talked all that cash noise, just trash, and is just struggling? But yet, in, you know, somebody like Cam Newton who doesn't, who loses when the Panthers lose, gets more crap about his, his outfit than the fact that he led his team to uh, birth in the Super Bowl. Uh, Baker Mayfield has won zero in the NFL, but yet you see these media types and the Browns fan base making excuses. Talk about how that's annoying. Well, you know why it's annoying? It's annoying because, I mean, I'm going to just be real. I'm going to just say it. When, when white quarterbacks or players do certain things, it's looked at as having, you know, you know swag or charisma or something. And when black players do it, it's looked at as being cocky or not being team players. I mean, Cam Newton has done so much for the city of Charlotte. I mean, well, the Carolinas, period, for the NFL. 
he's done so much, you know, and then done his charitable acts and everything. I mean, we've seen it. But, I mean, the biggest thing that people just say is, you know, talking about his outfits and stuff. Like you said, this guy took this team to the Super Bowl, you know, and there's so many things positive you could say about Cam Newton, you know, but you got Baker Mayfield. He gets away with some stuff, man. I mean, he he really gets away for, with some stuff. And, you know, the thing about the NFL, for any position really, especially any position that you dominate as a rookie, and, I mean, I'm not saying he was absolutely dominant. He was pretty good. But what I'm saying is that that second year, teams figure you out, you know. And either either you're going to be average or, you know, decent as a, in, in your rookie year and get better, I mean, uh, and get better, or you're going to be good and get worse. And in extreme circumstances, you have Patrick Mahomes, who's just, I mean, just phenomenal. But my point is that, you know, Baker Mayfield, he could have went through a sophomore slump, and you know what, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal and wouldn't be as many people rooting against him if he wasn't the person that he is. You know what I'm saying? And he has a very valid reason to go through a slump. I mean, he has his issues as a quarterback, but he has a horrible offensive line. I mean, Cleveland felt like they were going for broke this year, and they did everything but secure the line. And now it's come back to bite them in the ass. You know, I think a lot of people would be, you know, more and you know, sympathetic towards that if he wasn't who he is and acted the way he acted. I mean, you ain't been in the league long enough to be saying some of the things that you're saying about players and stuff like that. You know, stay in your place, earn your keep. Really, I mean, really. Because the league is, I mean, realistically, the league in terms of in terms of quarterback, it's top heavy, very top heavy. I mean, and now when I say the top, I'm thinking of like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and a few others. I mean, consistently and healthy right now, right now, playing today. Matt Ryan, et cetera, a couple others, and I mean, even you can question that Matt Ryan, but. And you got more game managers than average quarterbacks than anything. You got one year, and then you wasn't. It wasn't even like he. I mean, if Mahomes came out and said some of the things that Baker Mayfield was saying, you know, I think a lot of people would have been like, okay, you know, a lot of people think he was fluke anyway. But if he said it, you know, it'd be a little bit different because I mean, he just came out and obliterated the league, you know, once he got his shot. But I feel like with with him, it's like, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? You already you already did enough in college. You gotta you gotta put up or shut up. You know. So for him to come out and and the way that the team looked coming out has looked through these five weeks. You know, even in the win. I mean that that Jets game was like, come on, man. They they're basically playing with one player on offense, et cetera, et cetera. Very inexperienced team. Whatever, no excuse. But still, it's like you know, for all that cash you talk. You know what I'm saying? We can't even feel bad for you not having a line because you bought this on yourself. You're doing GQ spreads. You're talking about people and stuff. And now you look bad, you know? So it's like, it is what it is. He looks like a fool. Now, before we get out of here, Obi, can you tell people about the book, the sequel, what you're working on, and where they can contact you on social media? Okay. So, uh, right now, you can find me on Twitter at O-B-E-E, the number one N-E. 
Um, and I am now a few draft profiles in, getting ready to, you know, right now I think that's taking the backseat a little bit to we till we ready to roll out, but to see where the Raiders is going in terms of importance of starting to say, oh, yeah, the Raiders need to draft in terms of, like, that high pick, but we know that they're a hold. Um, but that's what I'm working on, reviewing a lot of film, looking at a lot of players. I really just want to be able to say every year, and I know more players than I knew before the knew in the, the the year before, you know. And um, the I'm also looking towards working with the XFL because uh, that the draft is coming up, and there's a couple of Raiders from past years like Connor Cookie Federer in this uh, XFL draft, and I'm looking to be covering the the, the DC Defenders somewhat. And just seeing how that goes. I know Vince McMahon has a lot of money in this and a lot at stake. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of Raiders, I, I mean, I'm just really waiting to see how this, this stretch comes. But I'm just working on my draft profiles and viewing players and basically just working on learning more about the game. I think that too many people feel like they know they know what they know and that's that, you know, and, and they use that, like, try to use that to – look down on people or whatever, but you can always learn more. And, and and you can learn more and you can be proven wrong and you need to eat your words sometimes, like you said, T. We talk about Derek Carr's lack of, you know, you know, charisma and stuff like that at times, but he's been showing up, you know. So you got to, as a man, sometimes you got to stand on what you said and sometimes you got to own up to things. And we can own up to when Derek Carr is a good performance just like anybody else. And then we also want credit because we were the ones saying, hey, Nicholas Morrow, give him a chance, give him a chance, give him a chance. And who got to pick Sunday? You know what I'm saying? Who's been stepping up? You called it. So, yeah. You called Nicholas Morrow. You know, you called Nicholas Morrow when everyone else was touting Brendan Marshall as the end-all, be-all to solve the linebacker problem for the Raiders. Exactly. And we both, it's funny watching our former guest, Max Crosby, you know, play so mm-hmm. well. And you mm-hmm. see these people sitting there saying, oh, you know, it's good. You know, I don't know where this guy came from. Well, he was here in March. So we kind of knew where he came from. <laughs> like, you know, this is, this, this is what we do here, man. It's This is a good time. And we're, you know, moving well past 50 episodes. And I will say this, in the past year, it has been a remarkable time. It has been just in life in general, just just new. Just life is di- life is different. It's it's full of like promise and full of hope. From I mean, everyday things like pancakes taste better, having the pop socket on your phone, places like from the park to Tyne Valley, the Cavendish, wherever, all around islands and highways, wherever. You know, life is good, and I mean, it 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 keeps that your mind sharp, and it keeps that you know that red blood pumping in your heart. Is this is this one of those things? And we're lucky. What we get to do, like you know, somewhere an angel is smiling down upon us that we're actually be able to do and bring this to you guys every week. You can find me at FPC Raiders. Our stuff goes up. Monday through Friday, we try to give you a different spin on things, not just saying typical stuff. You can interact with me on 
Twitter at tbig is capital T, capital B, lowercase everything else. This is what we do. Obi, always a pleasure, my man. I will catch you next week, man. Yes, sir. All right, bro. See ya. All right.